Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. The following is a live presentation of the Commercial Appeal. All right, one and oh. So, uh, you know, obviously tonight we, we came out, um, you know, started really fast, liked the way we, uh, we kicked off the game, you know, we were able to move the ball offensively, defensively, came out, I thought it played exceptional. You know, it was incredible. I mean, everything that, uh, you know, I'm so very grateful for this opportunity. I'm so grateful to be the head coach here and uh, to be a part of this community. Uh, you know, if, if you want to see what college football is all about, come to the Tiger Walk because that was one of the most impressive things I've, I've ever been a part of. And I've, I've coached it at many places, but uh, to, when you pull up and you see literally a sea of blue and just our fans, our, our family, uh, you know, that's what, that's what we are. We understand that everything we do on the field, you know, we represent this community. This is the Tiger Football Podcast with Tom Shad, Jeff Calkins, and Phil Stukenborg. All right, we're back. Feels a little weird not to have a game. Here in week two, feels like we just got it started and then stop. Yeah, uh, the way I look at it is we're one and zero as a podcast here, baby. We are one and zero. All we can do is go one and zero. Hey, that's all we can yep. do. Now we just need to focus in on our preparation. Figure out we did wrong last week, right? Right, and just kind of go from there. Any so, injuries you got? I am a little sickly today. I got a little bit of a, a stuffy nose. Well, I, but you got to yeah. play hurt sometimes. Yep. You know, you got to you got to push through. So. Um, we'll break down SEMO, uh, talk about our observations and stuff from that game here in a little bit. But the first thing, um, obviously, we need to get to is the Big 12 news from Friday. Um, ESPN report came out in the afternoon um, that Memphis did not make the cut of, I believe it was 11 finalists um, for Big 12 expansion. And it's been really interesting. And, Jeff, I know that you had a thing up online this morning about this, probably talked about it on your show. Um, the lingering hope, I guess, among fans. I'm still getting people tweeting at me saying maybe ESPN was wrong. Nobody else has like reported this. Maybe they're still in the running. What What would you say to those people? And is that just like a natural step in the process of, I don't know, needing to get... It's funny. I have... Um, I have... Uh... Just right here. I mean, I've gotten emails from someone on on Facebook saying that he isn't a good authority. That you know that the whole strategy here is to to have people think that Memphis is out, and so Memphis will when they'll you know take them by surprise when they're in. Um, and his source is someone who works at a restaurant who knows um, Rudd and Fred. So I can only assume it's Kelly English. It's probably the source. I, I don't really know. No. So, um, you know, I would love for us to all to be wrong. You know, I'd love for us to be wrong. That would be great. You know, someone said, will you resign if you are wrong? And I said, no, if, if I'm wrong, I, it'll be a better job. I love covering the Big 12. I, no, I, far from resigning if I'm wrong. I would love to cover the Big 12. So um, I think two things are behind it one is it's just stunning the nature of the news itself that they were not did not make the final 11 that's just hard to get your mind around so it's mm-hmm. easy to believe that it's not correct right and then secondly 
when the university won't say anything um, about it, as other universities have, there's a vacuum that can be filled with false hope, wild rumors, everything else. And so I think it's one of the real problems with the we're never going to say anything about this deal. It's like, um, you know, it's like someone died and I don't know how you grieve until you at least acknowledge that, you know, that Bernie isn't here anymore, that he's just, you know, that he's whatever. And so until you do that, until you say out loud, hey, we'll be fine. We'll, you know, this was tough, but we'll just pretend it didn't happen. It's a just a bizarre situation where they're just going to plot, never even acknowledge that this was after so publicly chasing it, right. never acknowledge. Now, you can make an argument. We can read that non-disclosure agreement however you want. But if it. It, maybe they're legally bound, and I, I'd, I'd be interested to get a uh, practicing lawyer as opposed to a failed lawyer's view like mine, <laughs> but it, it looks like a failure of leadership in the end, and maybe it's forced by the legal document that they signed, but you would think if you were if you were Memphis, you would go to the Big 12 and say, yo, can we at least say we appreciate being considered and we're going to continue to build as a university? And get, I can't imagine the Big 12 would say, you cannot say that. And so if you aren't doing that, are you hiding behind the non-disclosure agreement? I mean, again, I have great respect for the leadership of the university now. I think it's very different than it was once upon a time. But this seems just bizarre to me. Tell me this, because if you look at... Uh in your theory, I think, was that uh, something must have happened in the last few weeks, Jeff. When What is your theory on what may have happened? Well, I, I don't know that I – what I think is – there are two ways to look at this. One is that they were delusional all along. That I mean, and we've seen the clip from Alan Graff that, that I think it was Channel 3 had that said, if it's four, we're 100% in, two, uh, right? So it's not – it's not so maybe they were deluding themselves all along because very clearly there was a lot of confidence on the part of the Memphis people and maybe just miss maybe they misread it didn't understand delusional whatever or maybe the and that's one option the second option is is that the feedback that they had been getting was in fact that they were in good shape and something changed I think the more likely I don't think Alan Graff is delusional I don't think you know I don't think David Rudd is delusional I don't think and so I think the more more likely scenario is that something changed. Now, what that something right. is, what that what manner of political backroom dealing, whether it was some university saying we will not have Memphis, period, and Texas, for example, like that could do it, right? Or whether it was, uh, you know, one of the popular theories on Tiger Lane was that the SEC doesn't want Memphis to be in the Power Five conference, and so they combined with ESPN to kill it, or whatever it is. That seemed a little cloak and dagger to me. I don't think the SEC is obsessed with Memphis either way. I do think, honestly, the SEC would prefer it. Like, would Ole Miss oh, prefer yeah. it if Memphis were not in the in a Power Five conference? Yes, Ole Miss would clearly prefer it. I think Tennessee would clearly prefer it. Are they obsessed by it? Does it really worry them? One way? Is it on the top five concerns? No, the top five concerns are Chad Kelly, among other things. So, but and and the inability to run the ball. Like, lots of things Ole Miss is worried about other than Memphis. But, um, but. Would they rather? I think they would rather not have Memphis be in the Big 12. So I don't totally discount those. Like, there are some conspiracy theories. The one about they're mad that they took Tubby from Texas oh, yeah, Tech. Yeah. That one's stupid. Like, they're, they're, a lot of the conspiracy theories are just stupid. But, but there's some that I can buy. And I do tend to think if, that if the choices are, did they simply misread it from the beginning or did something happen? I kind of subscribe to the something happened. What, what did Rice do to get in the top? We're yeah, just that, theater. That's that's thing, thing, or, on, uh, on what 
On what level does that make we, sense? We are purely just theorizing right now. Um, so my the only theory I think that 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 makes sense is <clears throat> that they like to wanted to show that hey look. We're considering fabulous academic schools that can't play football with a lick. It's not all about money. It's not. It's about integrity. Look at who we have on our list. And they're just bringing them along so they can say, look who we considered. We advanced them over that scofflaw Memphis. We advanced Rice and Tulane. We care about academics. We don't just care about money as they, in the end, just grab the money. Rice has 80,000-seat stadium, by the way, Jeff. <laughs> what? Tell us what a football <laughs> – tell us, Phil. You've, I've never had the pleasure of a football game at Rice. Tell us – take us to Rice right now. Give I, us I a – capture the atmosphere for us. I can't give you a better atmosphere setter than this. Several years ago, Memphis is playing Rice. I'm at The game's at 2 o'clock. I've told Tom this. The game's at 2 o'clock, and I'm going, you know what? This is when Northwest was still in its heyday with – you know, nonstops everywhere. Right. So I, I'm, I'm going to take the 7 a.m. flight, get there way ahead of time. Mm-hmm. Instead, there's all these delays. Right. So they keep pushing this back. And finally, I get on the, I finally get on a, a flight. I land. Now there's an hour before kickoff, and I'm 45 minutes away. At the airport. At the airport. I jump in the rental car. I get to the game, and it's now 10 minutes before kickoff. And I'm working my way up to the stadium, and I turn to the attendant there, and I ask the lady, I said, hey, I'm running late. Is there any way I can park up here? And she goes, oh, yeah, this is free. It's open parking. <laughs> I, I go, and I, I get in. I walk up, and I'm there for the kickoff. So, I mean, there was there was no one. There was There's no one nobody there. There, there was no, no one there. It's just so. no people. Like, and it's, it's why it is in the end. It's funny because, I mean, I did I, – I, I say my best stuff for the podcast, but I do do a radio show as well. <laughs> and I was on with Gary Parrish this morning, and he was – Making the argument, Dan Wolken had said at some point, maybe just Memphis should be in, like, maybe this is where they should be. They shouldn't be in a power. Like, if you look at where schools should be, they are where they should be. And maybe it's time for Memphis to sort of recognize they are where they should be. This was the Wolken theory. And, and Gary was starting to, to consider that. And but, I could, but couldn't that have been TCU's theory years well, ago? That's, no, right. that's exactly right. I, and, yeah. and if you compare it to Alabama, they're where they should be. If you compare it to Tennessee, they're where they should be. It's not a big. It's not the flagship university of a state. But you're exactly right. Where the hell should TCU have been until they got in? Where should Louisville have been? Right. Louisville is Memphis in many ways, and then they got in. And so, um, so I, you know, I, I, I don't know. Like, I, or, or ultimately, if they expand, and let's hope they do not now. But if they expand and take two, whatever two, where should they be? Let's say the two are. Uh, Houston and um, and Cincinnati. Well, why should they? Do they look like should be in a Power Five conference? Any team, any more than Memphis? Now, I'll take Houston in a game against Memphis right now, but no. Like, so where should they be? We're we're competing. It's competing against a pool of teams, none of which, quote unquote, should be defined by the old fashioned definition in a Power Five conference but that's not where we are now we're we're at a very different stage i I almost think you know people are are, are keep saying well memphis is like 13th you know they weren't on i almost think they were the first ones out i I don't know if the list was a a cut down to you know they just decided they just decided to get rid of memphis first so because there's so little information coming out i don't think you can really say they're 13th i think they just decided to make i but it was just this this part truly is speculation but um but I think they just decided to, for whatever reason, to whether it was academics, whether it was you know wanted to make a big show, mm-hmm. 
whether it was the FedEx stuff because it was so public, rubbed them the wrong way, whether it was that the SEC wanted to kill him, whether it was Tubby Smith's relatives were mad or something, whatever. I do think they just decided, let's kill Memphis. You know, yeah. And it's why I think the bitterness is not misplaced. I fully subscribe to and endorse and join in in the bitterness. I think it's – I don't think you should felt any bitterness if in the end they take two and you were three or four or made it, whatever. But to be publicly and unnecessarily hung out to dry like this because this was woe. You knew that it would be woe. Inside the inside – the, you knew that people would notice this. And so you went out of your way to do it. And to go out of your way to do it, I think there should – a bitterness towards the Big 12 is not at all misplaced. It's fully appropriate. So this leads into what I was going to ask you guys. So we got this happening Friday afternoon. Um, Jeff writes a column. The report comes out. Every, everything happens Friday. And then 24 hours later, approximately, people are tailgating on Tiger Lane. And you've got the first Tiger Walk and Mike Norvell's debut and everything. And I was there, but I was on the field kind of watching pregame warm-ups and stuff. You guys were out talking to fans and i'm curious just what the atmosphere was like among fans i know that you guys talked about and and wrote you know in sunday's paper a little bit about some of the despair and some of the disappointment but it seemed also that there were a lot of people there and there was still some excitement there you had full-scale weeping didn't you phil i did i mean there were (laughs) it hit people all kind of ways but mostly it was shock i think and disappointment just again they see the they saw the list and they they, they compared Memphis to these, and there was no way. I think the the common theme was, I expected us to make the Final Four. Is what the fans said. They said, "I I did not expect this." You, you thought, "Hey, we may not make it." Memphis, uh, they may just take two, and Memphis may be three or four, but not not completely shut out like this. Yeah, it was disbelief in in that way, and it was. But I really, I I think that um, there are. There are a couple times when I have been moved by uh, sort of the display of fan loyalty in the face of difficult circumstances um, at Memphis. One was after John Calipari left them in the lurch and at Memphis Madness that that year, uh, the, they had, they turned people away. Thousands and thousands of people they turned away because they said, we're here for Memphis basketball, not for John Calipari. And that was sort of moving. And I thought it was not quite to that level Saturday, but to have 42,000 people in the wake of that. Um, to have, I was there at three thirty for the Tiger Walk, and it was about eight deep at the Tiger Walk. Um, Do they need to extend that back now? It's an interesting. <laughs> it's an interesting question. But to have um, these people have been through much worse than this. I mean, this was a particular gut punch. But being a college, being a Memphis Tiger football fan right now is much easier than it was when Larry Porter was the coach. It's easier than it was when Rip Shear was the coach. It's easier than it was. I'm not equating those two either. One, Rip Shear was much better than than Larry Porter. Uh, you know, it's much better than it was. You know, than that hideous game against East Carolina that was on national oh, TV yeah, when yeah. it poor like whatever. They're, they've been through a lot worse than this. Mm-hmm. And so, um, the truth of the matter is, it's fun to be a Memphis fan now. Like Tiger Lane is a tremendous scene, just yeah. tremendous. And people tell me that it's spilling over into other parking lots as it well. Is. It's just as much fun. We say Tiger Lane, but I mean it as a shorthand for everything that goes on around that. Uh, the the games now, um, the team's fun, the coaches fun, recruiting's fun. Like this is not an awful time to be a Memphis Tiger fan. That was an awful day, <coughs> awful bit of news. But I thought that um, there was a pretty joyous, or at least sort of there's some there's some determination there. There's some screw them there. There was some chip on the shoulderness there, and there was all of that was in the crowd too. It, it helped that it was the season opener too. I think because <laughs> people were already. 
their emotions. They were ready to get back out and, and probably congregate with their friends and, and tailgate. So I think that kind of helped soften the blow a little bit. It was a beautiful day. That was nice too. And there was a lot of nice things about it. There was some, some, and I don't know how bad it was and relative to, to whatever. There was also the, the things that reminded you of the ways in which this university or whatever is not always first class, honestly. Uh, you heard reports about the lines at security, and I don't know whether that's the fault of the fans or the fault of security or whatever, but people were sending me you, – it was a half-hour wait to get in at various places through the security – and then to have the power grow out, it's just embarrassing. And it's the kind of thing that happens way too often. It's, it's sort of the, 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 the perfect Memphis moment was the, was the year that the tiger head didn't inflate. Um, when the, the, the tiger head that they ran flew that didn't, I actually still remember D'Angelo Williams said at his press conference when he was coming back, when he said why he's coming back, he said, there's nothing quite like running through that tiger head when it's inflated. <laughs> he added the one that's inflated. And so then you have, you know, you're bemoaning that you're not in the Big 12 and you have no freaking power. Come on. Seriously? Like, yeah, that was rough. That was rough. It was like it's a bad moment. And and I'm not going to absolve them from that. Like, because it happens too often. I don't know what exactly happened Saturday night. You said that MLG and W Time, right, tweeted back at us that it was a oh, user. They, 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 they dropped the mic on Twitter. <laughs> Yeah, they dropped. The, yeah, it was something like it was on the customer side. But it, or but it, it was just. But that was accurate. It was. It was. Something. What was it exactly? Do we know? So, we heard that a concession cart hit some main breaker switches. It kind of got out of control. It kind of slid, and it hit, and so they had to find out where it was first, and then and then scramble to fix it. I liked it because, and I mentioned this in my column, and there was this moment that they started in the second half without any anything. There's no no PA. Right. The clock's not moving. It's frozen at whatever a certain time, and so. It's eerie as they start up because you normally have the music and you normally have voices and whatever. And so in the week, what saw the passing of Sidney McKay, the former great band director, literally the only people there who could provide the soundtrack for the song was, was the mighty sound of the South. So to hear them crank it up when they supply their own power, I thought was uh, that was sort of fitting. But that was an embarrassing moment, too. You know, that wasn't that wasn't that wasn't first class. So we've got all this stuff happening yes. off the field on the field. I mean, let's just go through some impressions. I mean, I thought just kind of off the cuff, you know, that first drive was everything that you thought the Mike Norvell era would be, including the swinging gate two-point conversion play. But then after that, you know, some sputters. They, they, they moved the ball down. The defense put them in a good spot at times. Couldn't run the ball incredibly effectively um, unless it was Patrick Taylor Jr. And uh, the offensive line was shaky at times. It looked like they were still trying to figure out what they're going to do up there. Defensively, I thought we saw a lot of improvement. I don't. I thought from the secondary all the way up to the defensive front, just improvement across the board on defense. Special teams are kind of as reliable as ever. Uh, but what were your guys, I guess, initial observations and impressions from watching the first game? I'll go back to what you said about the offensive line. Just you, you not seeing that as cohesive as you thought it might be as a as a first unit. But if if Tate Trevon Tate did not start, uh, that kind of probably shook things up some too. Um, it was impressive late to see Patrick Taylor and see what he could be. I, I thought that had to be something that people, if they stayed that late, uh, that's that's probably what they took home with them. Uh, defensively, yeah, everything you've said about how much better they would be, uh, you could see. Um, y- your your favorite player that you've talked about from Collierville? Austin, Austin Hall. Austin Hall. It, it just it catches my attention when I see someone that, that breaks down so fundamentally sound and doesn't doesn't get burned on a certain play coming his way. It, it looked uh, – it, it just – it jumped out at me. Going back to the offensive line very briefly, 
you said that Tate, you know, didn't start, which was true. It was, it was Gabe Kuhn at left tackle, right. Jason Neville at, at right. What was interesting then was that there was a time later in the first quarter where Trevon Tate was in the game, but he was at right tackle, and Gabe Kuhn was at left tackle, which is interesting because Tate was supposed to be kind of your your guy, like your Taylor right. Fallon replacement. So the fact that they put him in there at right tackle says to me they're still really they're open to anything. Like they're just trying to figure out what will be the best. Five yeah, he, the fact that he didn't start was because they didn't think he was on the first five at that time, right? I mean, it's not, it's not like, do we know there was some disciplinary thing? What do we think? There's a disciplinary reason he didn't start. Is that what we believe? I, I think I think we strongly believe that. Strongly believe <laughs> that there was a disciplinary issue is why he didn't start. Although it's not confirmed. There's a non-disclosure act, I think. A non-disclosure. <laughs> you're not free to talk about it. I see. So, so um, I mean, there's no question. Mike Norvell went out of his way after the game to say – you say we have four reporting starters. We don't. We've got four guys who did occasion who who have started games, and there's a difference. And that's not throwing the t- the the line under the bus, but it's certainly it's it's demonstrating what is currently either their level of concern, lack of belief, or whatever in the offensive line. They obviously know it's a problem, and so that is. There's no question that that was the biggest takeaway. That that is. Whoa! They can't run the ball. Like like that's going to be. That's going to be tough if they can't run the ball against SEMO. Let's see what they can do against uh, Houston or Kansas for that matter. Yeah. But um, So that was, to me, the, the biggest concerning thing. The defense was better. On the other hand, we didn't really see how bad the defense was last year until the season went on. Game one, was it a shutout? 63-7, to seven, I think. 63-7. to seven. So, so, again, I, clearly better. And I thought Tom's scouting reports were dead on. Arthur Mollette was tremendous. You picked him out as a, a player who's vastly better. He had a pick, three breakups. Like, you can see a lot of this. Um, Jannard Avery was really good, I thought. Um, defense looked better, but let's, I, I sort of will withhold judgment on that. Um, offense troublesome that they can't run the ball. And then Riley Ferguson, to me, I saw more good than bad because the things that he did poorly, which was decision making, seem to me to be things that are that go along with being a first time starter. So I'm going to assume he's not just a bad decision maker, that that can be fixed. If it can't be, that's a problem. In other words, if he's making the throws, some of the decisions he made, throwing the bad pick on the first first intercept, like that will be a problem. Um, I'm going to go ahead and say, you know what, that's the kind of thing you expect from your first start ever in the Division One game. So and then the things that he did well which is accuracy, ball placement, when he made smart decisions, I think those things can take you a long way. So I saw more good than bad from him only because I think the bad is correctable. If it's not corrected, then that could be a huge problem because as Tom pointed out in his Sunday piece, one of the underrated things that Paxton Lynch did is take care of the football. Four picks last year total. And um, And a couple of them were not his fault. And a couple were not his fault. So, um, So, But I'm going to assume they can fix that. I was more impressed. My biggest takeaway from Riley Ferguson were the a few of the throws where he just put it money in the only place you could put it, and I'm going to go ahead and be optimistic and figure he can that that we that that ceiling is reachable. And so I thought I saw really promising things from him. And I think if they're going to have a successful year, given that they can't run the ball and given the style of offense at least early, which is seems to be the running attack is short passes. I think if they're going to be good, I think I'm more. I think his numbers will be big numbers if they're going to be good. The one thing about Riley, I asked on uh, the AAC conference call yesterday. I asked Norvell about the two picks that he threw, 
And he said Norvell took responsibility on the first one. He said we didn't put him in a great spot on that particular play. The second one is the one that I think concerns me a little bit because that's one where he's rolling out and he tries to force it in along the sidelines. <laughs> yeah, bad, just really and that's bad. just that's just the decision that you just I mean the sidelines right there, you just gotta dump it out of bounds. But like you said, that's something I mean, first game, game, something that can can be corrected. And I think that, you know, it, it's a big change from covering a guy like Paxton where like you were just used to the dude never throwing picks. And so But I covered not, him when he did throw picks. I mean that was the other thing. His first year, first year. up at uh at uh uh um who, who's he, he didn't he throw a critical pick up at um when they were playing um middle tennessee right you know he was like he, he would throw bad mm-hmm. picks and then they'd say free piano man you know and so <laughs> um like i saw i covered that paxton lynch and so i progress is possible but now, you but you knew then too that it was a matter of time with him i bet when you saw Paxton Lynch? Yeah, no. He always looked – I never – there was never a moment with Paxton Lynch where I said maybe it's not going to happen. There right. was there was never a moment because even then it looked more like it was – remember the drops that year? Oh, yeah. Like he had so many drops. Yeah. I never really doubted – I didn't know he'd be this good, but I never really doubted that he would figure it out. But I think I think Riley Ferguson's going to be good. Um, so um, I don't know that he's going to be that good, but I think he will ultimately be good. So the last thing to get to before we get out of here, just taking your temperature of the team – overall after one game i mean i'm i'm of the belief that and i wrote this in in our morning after thing that we do on sundays you get out of there with a win you get out of there with any any major injuries um now anthony miller did miss practice today um it's it's a mild sprain coach norvell said they expect him to come back it's not supposed to be a big thing but assuming they accomplish those two things i think it's fine you know i think some fans are kind of oh we should have beat them by four touchdowns five touchdowns whatever they're worried about the offensive line. What are, what are, I guess, if you just had to sum up your feel of the team after one game? For a team that played without Sam Kraft and, and had some – and had That as well. And had Tate, who was who did not start. I mean, you had some things that you maybe didn't see offensively that you'll see maybe uh, come more into focus for game two. And then again, with, with Riley Ferguson having another couple of weeks to prepare, yeah, I think, I think you'll be okay there. I don't think anyone after game one would – move would would change their win projection upward right and you might possibly move it downward or keep it the same but in other words in terms of the general tenor of the game i think you wanted it to be better than that you wanted to be less sloppy you wanted if you're being honest right the first was great but in fact one of the striking things to me is i was so used to justin fuente being miserable all the time even (laughs) in victory that mike norvell seemed pretty happy in you know like i expected him to in his post-game press conference to talk about more what went wrong because a lot went wrong well we got a lot to fix like i expected that and he didn't like and so maybe that's a good sign it was just sort of it that was interesting to me that we it wasn't god that we got to be a lot better than that that was not the it was it was he was fairly upbeat i was also struck by dorland dorsius though uh because he was clearly frustrated and um and that's good like you want to be you know he wasn't he was not happy with the win he was clearly frustrated with his own it a bit with it and so i'll i think it's it will be interesting to watch how it unfolds because right now that we love this offense whatever but if it sputters like it did with the running a game um it'll be interesting to see which way it goes weren't you 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 were talking to dorland dorses he was he clearly right. unhappy about how poorly they had played but what i could not tell from him was was he mad at himself or at the at the team and was he masking it in what he was saying? So I don't know. I mean, I think 
I guess when you're the lead running back, those go hand in hand. Yeah, you it's, it's we couldn't run the ball. I couldn't run the ball. We didn't. We are. You know, we we're better than that. It was sort of we're better than that, and mm-hmm. so it was. He was much. He was much less happy than Norvell was. Oh, yeah. like he was really. He was quite unhappy. He was not grousing personally. Like they didn't black, at all. It was all team. We can be better than that. But he spent three years with Fuente, so I think that. Right. Well, so, right. I'll add that Jannard Avery was also pretty frustrated, which I thought was interesting because I said, had the defense play. And he goes, man, we have some plays there at the end that we shouldn't have given up. Which, so I think there is I think the frustration is healthy. And I, but I think, mm-hmm. um, I also think, I mean, I, I think, I hope they can play better. I hope their running attack is better than that. Because if not, then you will look back at this game as a harbinger, you know, as the first, as it was the canary in the coal mine. You know, this, whoa, like in the end, there was the, but hope you know, but hopefully it'll be, it'll be just something. And and they, that is the advantage of having. It is the one advantage of having the bye week. Now they can figure out maybe those offensive line issues going into uh, the the next game because they have two weeks to work on them. And on that, we will get out of here. We will take our bye week. I don't know if you guys have any nice travel plans. Anybody going to going to Bristol? Go visit up with uh, Co- Coach Fuente. Is he? I don't think we're going to Bristol. I do not believe we are going to Bristol. I'm going to go take. Uh, I have to go meet uh, my eldest up at Northwestern and move him in this weekend. So that may be um, at your old stomping grounds in D.C. So all right, and I'm going to a wedding. So we're all we're all getting out of town. Wow, <laughs> not my wedding. It'll be Danny Bowen's podcast next week. <laughs> Danny Bowen. <laughs> all right. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back uh, next week on the Tiger Football Podcast. This is the Commercial Appeal.